Are you still walking along the path to find out what your life's mission is? It may be closer than you think. Welcome to Mission Possible Program with your host, Carol Ann Fernandez. Everyone has a true calling. Join us now and find yours now. Here is Carol Ann Fernandez. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the premiere of the Mission Possible program. Wonderful to be with you. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, and the author of the book, Mission Possible, A Guide to Discovering Your True Calling. With me today is a special guest host, Vincent Spano. Vincent Spano is an actor, director, writer, and producer with distinguished successes in theater, film, and television. He has acted in over 60 theatrical and television films. He has made memorable guest appearances on hit shows such as Law and Order, SVU, The Mentalist, Castle, Criminal Minds, Beyond Borders, and Blue Bloods. He has worked with remarkable film and television directors, including Francis Coppola, Frank Marshall, and John Landis. His latest films awaiting release include Christopher Coppola's Torch, Luke Greenfield's Half-Brothers, Carrie Fisher's last film, Wonderwell, and George Gallo's comedy, The Comeback Trail, with Robert De Niro, Morgan Freeman, and Tommy Lee Jones. In addition to that, Vincent was the catalyst that led me to write the book Mission Possible, which in turn brought my mission and purpose into focus and has now led to the creation of this show. So welcome, Vincent Spano. Oh, thank you. Hello. It's, <laughs> I'm very happy to have been your catalyst, I can tell you that. And uh, I'm very glad to be here with you today. You know, I'm excited about your new radio show. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I always felt that uh, you know that the world needed someone like you especially uh, I mean especially after Oprah completed her daily talk show uh, you know I, I believe uh, that you would uh, fit in very nicely uh, with people hearing you every day certainly at least weekly and that you're going to bring a lot of value and healing and inspiration uh, to people across many nations and I've always felt that and so I'm very very happy to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so touched that you said that. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. But thank well, you. you know, this is kind of a full circle moment, right? I mean, you had this idea, uh, you know, there was this idea that was planted in you, the idea of writing the book, and uh, then it becomes, a, a, you know, manifest in reality. And it continues to grow more roots, you know, more branches. And uh, so today, here we are on your first radio show. It's it's fantastic. And like I said, this is going to bring a lot of people to a, lo- a lot of value to a lot of people. So now today, this is your first show, so it's going to be unique. And I will actually be interviewing you yes. so that your audience can begin to get to know you and what your show is about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I know on uh, future shows, you'll be interviewing very special guests, but today it's about you. So let's get started. Um, Both this radio show and your book contain Mission Possible in in their titles. So this radio show I know is an extension of your book, and you have had a passion for mission and purpose pretty much all your life. And you yourself have a very powerful story that brought you into this into this life, into this world. So why don't you share with us your story and um, the genesis of your passion for mission and purpose? 
So I'm East Indian, and I was born in Malawi, Africa. And at the age of six, I knew two things. One is that I was destined to be in the U.S. And the second thing is that I knew that I had a mission. Now, at the time, I didn't know what the mission was, nor did I sit to contemplate that. And I also didn't know how I would get to the U.S. And then when I was nine years old, just about to turn 10, my life turned upside down. And the police came knocking on our door one evening and basically took my father away. They said they were taking him in for questioning and that he would be returned shortly. Well, my father never came back that evening, and we found out that the rest of the most of the men in our community had also been taken away. So the men had were pretty much disappeared for a fortnight for 14 days. We didn't know where they were or what was happening to them. And then they were suddenly released. And I remember waiting with bated breath to see my father. And I was a good little artist. And so I drew him a picture. And I mm. remember writing the words, you know, um, uh, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and I love you. And I, I stood there with my picture in hand, waiting for my father to walk in through the front door. And when he did, I froze. I had not seen my father like that. And um, he was emaciated. He was gone. You know, he had lost a lot of weight. He seemed feeble. My mother was helping him in, and he had a, a very long beard. My father has never had a beard before or after. His hair was disheveled. He had bloodshot eyes. You know, his throat was raspy. He had pneumonia, and uh, we found out later on that he had lice. And so that was a, quite a shock on my system. And I just remember my mother marching him off to the bathroom and filling the tub of water and pouring bottles of Dettol into the water, which is a British product. It's a disinfectant for everything. And then I believe it was the following day, the men were asked to come to a specific location and bring their passports. And I think from the men's perspective, this they didn't understand what this ordeal had all been about. And they figured it was over and they could just put it behind them and go back to life the way it was. Well, the reality was when they brought their passports there, the passports were stamped and we were given, in essence, three days to leave the land, to flee, to leave the, the only home I'd ever known. So needless to say, chaos broke out, you know, and some people left right away. And then they extended the time for us and said, well, we'll give you a week to, to leave. And then it became two weeks. And so, you know, pretty much this um, tight-knit community was suddenly torn apart. And it, like I mentioned, there was there was chaos and, you know, just everyone trying to get their stuff you know, stuff together to to start a new life elsewhere. And, and most people, I mean, we went to all different parts of the world. And so, you know, we lost everything. And, um, you know, the, the physical loss wasn't as painful for me as it, we had three, um, three dogs, which were an extension of our family. Ooh, that emotion comes up again when I talk about it. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I mean, you're, wow. I mean, 
you know, this is the kind of stuff you see maybe, uh, you know, in a movie when th- things are this bad, when when you are living in a, in essence, a Shangri-La. I know you've told me about what it was like living in Malawi. You had a beautiful, beautiful home and estate with all these beautiful, you know, all these amazing fruit trees growing on it. Like it was literally a Shangri-La and you had like a little economy going in your home. I know you had hired help and so you were supporting the uh, the community by hiring people and they were taking care of you you were taking care of them you have these beautiful animals and i mean you, you know we, we think about what happens when uh, a uh, you know a sheriff gives you a five-day notice in the united states or you know even let's just say california but that's after a long process and but to just have your dad taken in the middle of the night he comes back in two weeks looks like that you're a little girl and then you have three days to leave your entire the entire foundation of your life behind i mean it's it's, it's really kind of unimaginable and and again, uh, what you just said about the dogs, I mean, that that you couldn't take your dogs with you. Tell, tell us more about that, if you, if you can. Yeah, so, you know, with each dog, there was a story, and I'll, I'll just share one of them. So, as an example, we, we actually had a German Shepherd, and then we had two small dogs, a Skipper Key, a Skipper Keys, they're little Dutch dogs. And I'm not sure how my mother found a person to, to, to take the dog, but um, a man, a, a Dutch man, and his two young girls showed up and I think one of the girls was eight and one was seven and um, he got out of the car and he had a checkbook with him and he was about to write my mother a check and he said how much do you want and she said no no I don't want your money promise me promise me promise me you'll give her a good home and he said I absolutely will and with that and you know I happen to be holding the dog note to self never do that one So he lifted the dog out of my arms and placed it in his little girl's arms. And then he gave me a candy bar in exchange, a bar of chocolate. And I remember being internally being so angry at God. And I saw the scales of justice and and I said to God, how could you do this? How could you give me a candy bar in exchange for unconditional love? And um, so anyways, they climbed into the car and, and drove off. And I was watching our little dog like squirming, trying to get away from this little girl's arms. And I cut across our yard to see our little dog for the last time. And she managed to break free and she runs to the back of the station wagon. She starts frantically scratching at the back of the window. And, it, and I was running a little bit. And at some point I stopped and I had this profound sense of hopelessness because I suddenly realized that there was nothing that I could do to save that dog. And so that image of that little dog scratching, scraping at the back of the window is forever seared in on my mind and in my heart. And in that moment, you know, I felt the lump in my throat and I wanted to just basically fall to my knees and sob. And I didn't allow myself to do that because I felt that if I fell to my knees... That like Humpty Dumpty, I would shatter into a million pieces and I would never be able to put myself together again. So I literally stood there and I donned on my armor and I said to God, I'm going to survive this. So, you know, that's one of the stories. So that's, you know, that was incredibly challenging. So you could say for, you know, at the ripe old age of 10, 
um, for all intents and purposes, I became a child refugee in London with my entire life packed in a suitcase. And really, that's what we had. You know, my mother had the daunting task of whittling down our entire lives and trying to figure out what we put in one suitcase for each person. And so, um, and Malawi used to be a British colony, so my parents had British passports, so we ended up um, we ended up in London. And life there was incredibly challenging. You know, um, again, I was so I was ten years old, and I'm on a new continent in a new country, uh, you know, with a new life, and really reeling from the grief, the profound loss, you know, the trauma of it all. And we were on survival, you know, just trying to survive our circumstances. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just want to go back and say, like, for a child, the situation with your dog, I mean, that is your child. As you, you being a child, that dog is your child. And you know what it really, it, it, it brings up thoughts of the movie Sophie's Choice. I mean, where she had to choose between her son and her daughter and had to watch her daughter go away. And like you had to stand strong after that. So did Sophie in that she had to, um, you know, she'd do anything to try to protect her little boy who was, she knew was still somewhere, you know, in the, I mean, it's, it's allegory, but I mean, for you, I'm sure it was just as just as horrifying for you as it was for for that character for Sophie it's it's so intense and it's it, it was your childhood it's so here you are now in England and okay so you've gotten out of the Malawi situation but still England is still very challenging but we have to remember there was a little girl at age six who knew two things and one of them that she was destined to be in America so tell us how that happened so I had a maternal aunt, uh, Juliet, living in California. Shout out to my Aunt Juliet. And she sponsored us to the U.S. And I remember the day that my parents had to go to the American embassy for an interview to decide whether they were going to be accepted into the U.S. or rejected. And I was at home and I was profoundly nervous and anxious. You know, I felt as if my entire life depended on it. And then at some point, I felt this overwhelming sense of peace come over me. And I heard an inner voice say to me, you've got it, kid. Pack your bags. You're going to America. And so I thought, okay, this is interesting. And I, you know, waited for my parents to return. I heard the key in the front door and my mother burst through the front door and she said, guess what? And I said, yes, I know we've got it. So I, you know, we were all so excited um, to be coming to America and, and my um, friends in school in London, you know, just thought it was like the biggest deal, you know, like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky you're going to America, you know? And so, and so that's how it came to be about. Yeah, and, it, you know, I mean, you know all the issues that are going on right now with um, immigration. And look, I'm I'm here and I was born in America, a, um, third generation Italian-American. And it's because all my great grandparents came over on ships in the early 1900s and one grandfather. So uh, um, I can I can relate in the in the sense that if it wasn't for America opening its arms and its gates to people from other parts of the world that you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation today I wouldn't have had the opportunities I've had to be 
you know, an actor, a director, and uh, you probably wouldn't have had the opportunities to have uh, written the book you wrote or be on this show. And it's, you know, we don't know that, but it immigration is such a big part of America and uh, you guys made it. And thank God for the guardian angel of your aunt. Yes, indeed. Very grateful to her. And you, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what those, what the, what it, what was it like to arrive in America? What was it like for you to, 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 to open your eyes and look around and be in this completely different country and, and world? So, so I was elated, right? So I put on my rose-colored glasses, and I'm looking for my idyllic life. And I'll share this little snippet with you. When I was in London, I absolutely was homesick for Malawi. And like you said, the Shangri-La, I call it my Garden of Eden. And one of the things I missed profoundly was the bougainvillea that we had in our garden, that shock of, you know, magenta, right? And so I would bargain with God, and I would say, God, if you just bring that back into my life, I promise I will not take it for granted anymore. I'm so sorry I took it for granted. And I remember when my uncle picked us up from the airport here in the U.S. for the first time, my very first day in the U.S., and as we're driving home, I'm seeing all this bougainvillea. I was so thrilled. I was just grateful. I said, thank you, God. This was all like an internal thing. But, you know, these are the little things, you know, it was just seeing the sunshine and the blue skies, you know, it reminded me a bit of Malawi. Now, like I said, I was expecting the idyllic life, but in truth, it was very challenging, right? It's always challenging for an immigrant. So once again, I'm on a different continent in a new country, starting a new life. So, you know, it had, it had its challenges. Yeah. Um, you, there you were. I mean, you, you, you talk about the bougainvillea. I mean, a manifestation is a manifestation. And whether it's 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 a little one or a big one, it's still a manifestation. And you manifested. You manifested coming to America, and you manifested the bougainvillea. And that is remarkable. Now, something else <laughs> truly remarkable happened as you got older uh, living in Glendale. Uh, I believe you became Miss Glendale. Isn't that correct? <laughs> yes, I did. I wasn't going to talk about that, but yes. So I um, I became Miss Glendale, and my brother credits himself for that. There's a little story behind it. So my brother. So it was, I was about 16, turning 17 thereish, and my brother decides that he wants a pair of jeans, and so he wants to go to the mall to purchase a pair of jeans, and he wanted me to go with him and I refused I had just come out of the shower my hair is wet and he kept on insisting that I go with him so finally I throw in a pair of sweats and I'm like fine let's go um, being the good sister and so we get to the mall and there's some event going on and there are many booths there and as we're heading for the store where he's going to buy the pair of jeans I see a woman manning a booth or should I say womaning a booth and um, and she spots me and she beckons me over to her right so I'm like are you talking to me and I'm looking around is there anyone behind me and she says no you come here right so um so she starts telling me about this finishing and modeling school. She's telling me and selling me and pitching it. And it sounds fantastic to me. And I said, yeah, but, you know, my mother won't go for this. You know, it's a definite no. And she said, well, you know, fill out this this card with your information and I'll call up your mother. And I said, sure thing. So I fill it out, you know, and I'm absolutely sure my mom's going to say no. 
So a few days later, this woman calls. Her name was B, and she said, "You know, I'm that woman from the mall, and you know, I'd like to talk to your to your mother." So I put Mommy Dearest on the phone. And I'm sure that my mother's going to say no. And then when she hangs up, she's going to be really upset with me for, you know, talking to some strange woman, right? And giving her information. Mm -hmm. And so my mother uh, gets on the phone and then hangs up and says, oh, we've got an appointment at this finishing school. And I'm thinking, what? So we go to this finishing school. We have an appointment with B. And right before we step into her office, I look, there's this long hallway. And down the hallway, I there's a class in session and there's this beautiful petite blonde coiffed and dressed to the nines and she just looked amazing and B said you see that lady there she's the owner of this school and she's going to be your teacher and I just remember taking her in so B and my mother talk and again I'm sure like this is not happening and my mother comes out and she goes I've signed you up for this I'm thinking what (laughs) And so anyways, the owner's name was Sandra, and Sandra became just a very dear mentor in my life. And uh, another friend of mine who attended the finishing school, Paula, the three of us would spend hours talking about metaphysics and spirituality and personal growth. And really, I think that was the greater gift. Um, Sandra did, when the Miss Glendale pageant um, was uh, starting, she's the one who basically told me that I was going to do the pageant. I had no intention of doing it and um, I basically said no I'm good don't need to do that and she said you have no choice you're going to do this pageant and so I did and so I became Miss Glendale wow that's amazing I mean look at the look at the journey um also, I, well, let me, again, looking at the journey, you, there you are, the little girl in Malawi, you're in Shangri-La, this, you know, thanks to the, uh, thanks to the idiocy of men who want to, uh, who want to, who want more power and whatever, they, they go and disrupt and destroy your lives, you leave, you go to England, it's very, very hard to adapt there. Then you have a guardian angel, an aunt who gets you to America, you get to America, you start to settle in there, and then you go to the top, the top of the place that you move to, Glendale, and you are the exemplary Miss Glendale. It's truly amazing. It is amazing. And I believe you, why aren't you like the first non blonde-haired, blue-eyed Miss Glendale? Yes, I was. Yeah. I so, was. That's incredible. I mean, this this beautiful um, Eastern Indian uh, woman uh, from Goa becomes Miss Glendale in America. Uh, and it's the first time they've had anybody um, who looks like you um, representing their, their their city. It's just it's just fantastic. Um well, now, we actually have a few minutes before break. Yes. So perhaps it's time to take our short break. Okay. So you are listening to Mission Possible program on voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel. I am your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, in conversation with co-host, actor and director Vincent Spano about the premiere of this show. When we return, we will be giving away a couple of prizes, so stay tuned.
We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Are you tired of your job? Do you feel like you were meant for more? Would you like to live life on your terms? You can when you actualize your true calling. You can be financially sustainable. You can live a meaningful life. You can love what you do. Even make a difference and leave a luminous legacy. Drawing from over a decade's worth of research, her immense wisdom and cross-cultural life experience, Carol Ann guides, encourages, and inspires individuals to awaken to their purpose and actualize their life's mission. For those seeking to deepen their understanding and learn more, please visit carolann.global. For information about programs, coaching, and local workshops, or to purchase her book, Mission Possible, A Guide to Discovering Your True Calling, or to invite Carol Ann to speak at your event, please visit carolann.global. Again, that's carolann.global. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E is an amazing way to help you be you. Join host Dr. Deborah Egerton as she helps you to see how exploring the Enneagram helps you understand why you do the things you do. Understanding yourself can strengthen relationships, offer new perspectives, and help you live the life you were intended to live. You'll look at different aspects of your life in a whole new light. Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E is broadcast live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Mission Possible Program. To reach Carol Ann Fernandez or her guest on today's program, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd like to send an email, the email address is radiomissionpossible at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Mission Possible Program. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez. As I mentioned to you before the break, we have a couple of prizes to give away. So be the first person to email us, and you will receive a copy of my book. And the second person to email us will receive an autographed headshot of actor and director Vincent Spano. The email address is radiomissionpossible at gmail.com. Again, the email address is radiomissionpossible at gmail.com. Please be sure to include your name and address in the email and include the following code in the subject heading, MP23VS. Again, include the following code in the subject heading, MP23VS. All right, so we're back and we've covered uh, your, your beginnings and now you're in America, you're 
you're about what 17 18 years old and as you've always said you were always propelled on a path of personal growth and um spirituality so why don't you share with us what is what does that mean you know and when did you start now you now that you're a young woman in america when did you start thinking about your mission and purpose so I read voraciously. You know, I think after my mentor, Sandra, and I introduced me to more of that, I just um, read, I listened to audio programs, workshops, seminars, just everything I could get my hands on and just was the proverbial sponge soaking it all in. And I really didn't give much thought to mission and purpose. But periodically, I would be reminded, I'd be prompted with that, you know, silent, still voice inside reminding me about the mission or reminding me that I had a contribution to make. And I will share with you one of those promptings. I was actually in my early 20s and I had gotten into real estate and I had listed a 42-unit condominium building and at times it was incredibly hectic and busy and at times there would be a lull. So during the lull, I would go to one of the vacant uh, units, lock the door, turn off the lights and just center myself. And in those moments, I would hear that still small voice saying, you know you didn't come here to do this. And I would be shown an image, a vision of a path with a fork in the road. And from it, I gathered that I was supposed to take the the path less traveled. But it scared me, right? I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And um, so, you know, I would leave that vacant unit and just go right back into work and just ignore it and you know, not given much thought, but it continued. It was relentless. And so it got to the point where I finally made a decision and I said, I'm going to figure out what my purpose and my mission is. Better that I had tried and failed rather, or instead of going to my deathbed saying shoulda, coulda, woulda, living in regret. And so that is the decision that I made. And I, from that point on, I started really um, sort of focusing on that. And I you know, started reading books specific to mission and purpose and doing the audio programs and doing, um, you know, the personality test, trying to figure out what my strengths are and looking at numerology, basically looking at everything, trying to figure it out. And I was really serious, right? So, you know, I was walking around with a furrowed brow, like I was going to figure it out. And I was failing because I wasn't figuring it out and I didn't know what it was. And at the same time, though, life was seamlessly guiding me to a amazing teachers. So as an example, when I was 17-ish, one of the jobs that I had while I was going through college, I was working at a boutique clothing store. And there was a woman there who loved to read. So she hands me a book and she said, I don't know if you've heard of this teacher. Her name's Marianne Williamson. And the book is called Return to Love. And it's fantastic. You have to read it. So I did. And I loved it. So I passed it on to my best friend. A few years later, my best friend bought me a book. And she said, it's by that same author, Marianne Williamson. And, and the book was called A Woman's Worth. And she said, by the way, uh, Marianne, lectures here in LA. 
So I ended up going to Marianne Williamson lectures. You know, she always had her her books and her audio programs in the in the lobby, and there was always one table, a nonprofit organization called Project Nightlight that Marianne had founded, and Marianne would encourage us to to volunteer there. And I knew nothing about death and dying, and one day I just decided on a whim because Marianne had just mentioned it, and so I ran to the back of the you know the the auditorium and I signed up with Project Nightlight. I did a um, a one-day course with them, like a three-hour training with them. And Cassandra, the owner, the person who ran it, said, you know, I have a three-day workshop that you all can take if you want. And so I signed up for that. On the last day, she said, you know, there are a number of uh, volunteers who have already gone through the program, and they will come in and help you with the exercises. So the volunteers march in, and um, someone... A guy comes and sits right in front of me, bright-eyed, bushy-tail, big smile on his face, extends his hand, and he says, Hi, I'm Jeff. Well, Jeff turned has become and has been my one of my dearest and best friends for all these years. And so we started doing the death and dying thing. We started, you know, sitting at the deathbeds of people who were dying. And rather than going out, like on a Friday night, we'd go out to, um, to a hospice and sit with the dying. And... Um, and then one day Jeff says to me, you know, there's this church that I'd really like you to go to. And the moment he said church, I was thinking, nah, not for me. And so I would politely decline. And he would say, well, it's a church, but it's not a church. It's a it's a spiritual center. And I kept saying no. And he said, you know, you have to go to this. Trust me. And so eventually I relented. I went there and he was talking about agape, right? Agape is a very well-known spiritual center in Los Angeles. And the moment, yes, and the moment I walked in, I felt like I had come home. You know, I had tears in my eyes, and, and a lot of people have that experience. And then I'm not sure how long thereafter. So we'd go every Sunday to Agape. And um, at some point, I got, an, again, intuitive guidance that I was to, to do my master's degree. So it's the first time I listened to the guidance without fighting it, which I normally do. And I started looking at UC, I started looking at UCLA um, at master's degree programs. And I remember walking across the campus one day, and it felt like I was wading through molasses. And I'm saying to the divine, I'm doing what you're telling me to do. Why? Why is this so difficult or heavy? And um, so a little later on, we were at an agape event called Revelations that they have once a year. And Jeff picks up some leaflet on on a table, and he opens it up, and there's a big, huge ad for a master's degree in spiritual psychology. So Jeff, being Jeff, says, hey, let's go and attend the open house. And I'm thinking, no, you know, and Mm. once again, he was really insistent, you know, saying, okay, Jeff, let's go for the open house. And, of course, I go to the open house. I hear um, it's a husband and wife, doctors Ron and Mary Hulnick. And um, as soon as they start talking, I know that I've come home yet again. It felt so right, and everything unfolded with grace and ease. That's and I did Yes, and I know you it, did your master's degree there. Yes, I mean, that's how basically we met. We met through mutual friends who had done either USM or the Insight program. And so you, you once again, you were guided to, um, to your people and to where you should be, where you should, uh, you know, where you would go to even higher levels of understanding and knowledge. And I know you also are, uh, you followed Carolyn Mace and Jean Houston and a lot of these amazing people. And um, you, you make sure you 
get out there and go to their seminars and their workshops and meet them. And so you, again, you continue to be like a sponge. And uh, I, I just think it's it was uh, a very well, you were guided on it, but it was very it was very clever of you to keep following the path and stick to it and go to the people who you really resonated with, because this is obviously a big part of who you are today. Yes, very much so. Now, your book, um, Mission Possible, well, the actual full title is Mission Possible, A Guide to Discovering Your True Calling. Now, I want to go back a bit, and I want you to tell me what uh, what prompted you to write this book. Well, that would be you. Um, well, actually, <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was actually seeing patterns with people, and I'm not sure when that started, but I just took it for granted. I just assumed everyone else saw those patterns and just, you know, they were just there. And then one day when you and I were watching the making of Star Wars, and I know I've been calling it the making of Star Wars, but it does have a real title, yes, right? Yes, it's called The Empire of Dreams, and it is a remarkable documentary, two and a half, almost three hours long about, you know, George Lucas's uh uh, journey on making the first three Star Wars films. Yeah, so I, you know, we were watching that and I looked over at you and you were so lit up because that's your world. It's writing, directing, acting. You love George Lucas. I was also lit up, but for completely different reasons because I am looking at patterns and I'm sort of having this internal dialogue. And then when you changed the CD, I was talking aloud about some of this stuff and you just turned to me and said you need to put that in a book and it was sort of like this aha moment and I don't know what possessed me but I remember looking at you thinking yeah that makes sense yeah I should write a book now the truth is I had no idea what I was getting myself into you know right. <laughs> but I was just yeah that sounds good to me well I've never written a book I mean I've written screenplays and you know they're quite a challenge but to dive into a big old gnarly book and uh, the, the journey that that would take you on, how long it would take and gathering the information, doing the research, etc. Uh, that's that's quite a, uh, a journey to uh, to commit yourself to pursuing. And uh, just to go back, I mean, the, yes, I mean, when you mentioned when you you had always shown a, a special intuition or perception about people, um, you like nobody was um, everybody had something special about them and everybody had a story and a journey. And you, you know, where some people might dismiss certain people. Oh yeah, that guy's this or that woman's this. You would be like, well, you know, you can see how, you know, they've, they've uh, been through this or been through that. And this is why they're like this. And you always saw, you had a gift for the insight into people. It, it's like you could see the light and the preciousness of people and you appreciated everything they had been through and what shaped them into who they are. And I think it had to do with your deep compassion for humanity, you know, and just not just humanity, but I mean, animals, too. I mean, you I see you with your animals. It's amazing. They're, they're your little children. So, yes, you were the perfect, perfect person to write this book. It just hit me in that moment with with that insight that you have. You could write a book 
about, you know, how did George Lucas become George Lucas? Because I was over there spouting my mouth off while we're watching it. I'd always pause it. Remember, I paused the video, like I paused the DVD like a hundred times. Well, you know, George did this, George did that. George was driving down the street and he, you know, he made a sharp turn and he missed it and he was wrapped around the tree. And, you know, the only reason he lived is because his seatbelt broke and uh, they came and they saw this car wrapped around a tree and they said, okay, you know, how do we have to peel the pieces of the body out of this thing? And they said, no, he's over there. And George was sitting on the sidewalk, like with, you know, not really that badly hurt. And so I think he realized in that moment that he, you know, he was here for a reason and he was, and he was determined to do what he was going to do. And I, I would just go on and on like that watching the show. And I think that it triggered in you the, all the other times that you've told me about people and the, an insight into people and who they are and where they came from and how they ended up becoming who they became. And they became some of the most influential people in the world and in, 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 in our time. So, you know, yes, that moment was, in other words, I was guided to that moment for whatever reason to say, you're the one who should write this book. And you did it. You wrote the book. The book is written. Yes, it is. And it was quite a journey. So, um, you know, and thank you for, for what you said about the compassion and seeing people in that way, because and that really touches my heart, because that's really, in essence, um, who I who I am. And um, yeah, the book, you know, uh, um, the book took a <laughs> took a lot. And well, really, it started off with um, a lot of research, you know, I researched for many years. So part of it, how part of it was researching and looking at all these different stories and people who really interested me and I figured if I was seeing the patterns with some people in order for it to have validity I should be seeing it in lots of people and that's what started me on this journey and so part of it was researching and then I started seeing those patterns being confirmed with every story that I looked at and then I had to compile it and put all that information together and talk about the patterns and name the patterns and identify them and I didn't want the patterns just to be some airy-fairy theory so I wanted to concretize the information and give examples for everything that I was talking about. And so it was really an arduous process. There were many times when I wanted yeah. to walk away from it, and I did walk away from it, but but I feel like... You always came always, back. Yes. It always you always came back, back, and now here you are today with the radio show. And this is what's so exciting about your show for me, that, you know, today, I, like I said, today's unique. I'm, I'm interviewing you, so, so your listeners can begin to get to know you and understand your path. But I mean, you're going to bring people on this show and you're going to talk to them about their beginnings. You're going to talk to them about where they come from, how they ended up being who they are, what they went through. And it's very inspirational to everybody to know that they're not alone when they're out there and they're struggling and and maybe they just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel at this moment. And everything seems to be pointing towards them not achieving their dreams or their goals. And so that's what's really exciting about this show. And the, I, I know you're going to have some amazing guests uh, on this show. So why don't you, um, you know, you actually even said uh, that, um, well, let's just say, what, tell me more about the show. Like, what is, what is the show going to be about for, for you? I mean, from your point of view. 
So week after week, we're going to have powerful guests who have stepped into their mission, their purpose of true calling. They have activated their greater potential from my perspective, right? They are utilizing their gifts, talents, and capacities and are making a difference, whether it's locally or globally. And I'm talking about beyond a job, beyond a career is one's mission. So as an example, one of the people that I will be interviewing is an animal communicator. And she studied to be an attorney uh, because her mother was. And so many of us do that, right? We follow in the uh, parents' footsteps. Um, Along the way, she was discovered and she became a very successful model and traveled the world and then opened up her own um, agency, a modeling agency here. But she is now an animal communicator. But the truth of it is that she was communicating with animals at the age of four and five. So that gift, that talent, that capacity was always there. It was just a matter of time. And so from my perspective and in terms of my research, what I found is that life, our life experience is really our resume. It's preparing us for the thing that we are here to do. And then there comes a defining moment, right? So my defining moment was when you pointed to me and said, you need to write that book. So for everyone, there's a defining moment that really propels you on your path of purpose. It brings your mission and uh, purpose into focus. And so that's what happened for her. You know, I have another guest who is an artist. Now, here is someone who, by societal standards, had succeeded. He was working for a major um, film studio, and he was doing all the posters for for the movies that were just released, and he did fabulous work. They loved him. He loved them. It was all good, but he walked away from that. He is still an artist. He has always been an artist, but his art comes from such a deep place now. It comes from a spiritual place, and he was always spiritually inclined, right? So when he was working for the studios, it is as though those two things were separate. Now that he's doing his own art, artwork, he's it's the melding of the spiritual and the uh, and the art. You know, it it it's coming together. And uh, you know, when I see his artwork, my body actually has a visible visceral reaction. I feel the transmission. I feel the energy. And um, and, and he's doing beautiful things in meditation. He's just a very deep um, spiritual person. So that's someone who walked away from a career. And many times, you know, there are people who have, who are doing very well, very successful with their careers, but many times, oftentimes they feel empty and um, unfulfilled. And so it takes a lot of courage to step away, especially when you're getting the guidance that says, hey, this is your next stage. It's the next stage of your evolution. That's what your mission is all about. It's the next stage of your evolution. And it's scary sometimes to step into that. So we're going to have people who have done that. And so my the intention for the show is to really um, instruct. You know, I've been, I've got over, now it's about, you know, 14 years of research. And it is to inspire people, right? Hopefully people can see themselves in some of the guests and can say, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. And it is to inspire. It is to empower. It is to uh, motivate and hopefully to have, uh, encourage people to step into their true calling, into their greater potential. It is no different than the than the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. And I'm hoping that we will all become butterflies. That's beautifully put. You know, I just want to, I have a a good question for you, but first I want to make one comment about George, because, you know, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm into George, you know, and, you know, George used to tell his stories 
um, he had all these great stories and he would be talking and, and, you know, he was kind of like a, you know, a nerdy kid. He was this little guy. I mean, he's, he's not very tall and he was very skinny and he's, and he's got this mouth shooting off these stories. And let's just say other people would go, yeah, enough of that. All right. Just, yeah, just shut up, would you? And he would shut up. He would stop. But those stories were still inside him. And we all know who got the last laugh as a storyteller. But that was some things that George went through. George went through, like I said, he literally almost died. He had a father who was telling him, you you know, you're, no, you, I've set this business up, the stationery store. You're going to come work for me. I've got it for you. And George said, no, no, I'm going to be a filmmaker. And his father said, well, go do that because you're going to fail. And then you're going to have to come back crawling to me and, and work at the store. And he said, no, I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 30. And with American Graffiti, George Lucas had a $4 million net worth at the age of 29. So, again, uh, to me, George is, you know, exemplary in, in what he has created and creating his empire. So, I just yeah. wanted to... to yeah, and I just... Yeah, and I wanted to add that, yes, from my perspective, he is doing what he came here to do. And along those lines, I just saw the last Star Wars, and I had goosebumps because I think about the journey he underwent, you know, and he really stepped into his calling and against his father's wishes, et cetera. And look what he, look at the legacy that he leaves behind. So I was really touched. Again, that for me was a full circle moment watching the last, you know, the making of Star Wars. So, I mean, the Star Wars movie, the last one. The Empire of Dreams. And look, we look between us and uh, basically on your journey, we've met a lot of amazing people. And uh, heck, you know, we're, I know we're both blessed to be friends with Quincy Jones and he's someone we could get to go on your show. And I mean, it's really endless because everybody has a story. So I'm, I'm just very excited about your show and and getting these amazing people on there to uh, to talk with you. Now, I remember beginning uh, the beginning of this episode you mentioned that you actually want all this to spark a global movement now what, tell tell us more about that so in a nutshell you know from my perspective humanity has evolved from from scarcity right so we we come out of and i'm talking about a 2000 year um, trajectory um, from slavery from serfs from as indentured servants um, we never had the um, opportunity to say for what purpose was i born but i think now is the time for us and and now certainly this is um, not true for many people in many parts of the world they don't have the opportunity to do that so i feel it's incumbent upon those of us in the West who have the opportunity to do so, to ask that question, for what purpose was I born? And to then do the thing that they came here to do, to utilize their gifts and talents, to create a just, kind, sustainable world that works for all. I believe we are here to do that. We are all participants. We are here to use those gifts toward that end. And so my hope is that we inspire others to do that. And by doing so, by stepping into our own mission and calling, we then give other people permission to do the same. So that's really what I'm hoping for. Well, I can tell you, you've done it for me. <laughs> that's all I can say. I am absolutely inspired by you and, and uh, you know, just having known you all these years, it has absolutely inspired me and helped me along my journey without question. 
Well, I just want to say a big thank you. We are coming to the close of this program. The time has flown by so fast. And from the bottom of my heart, Vincent Spano, I thank you. It was a delight to have you here. And if people want to learn more about you, where can they go? They can go to my website, www.vincentspano.com. That's S-P-A-N-O, the last name. Fantastic. So uh, that's it for this hour. Thank you all for joining us. I will leave you with a quote from Mark Twain. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez. This has been Mission Possible. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Mission Possible Program. Please join your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, for another edition of the program next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until the next show, we wish you the best week ahead.